Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 58 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course, the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe to the show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Joining me today is my co-host and partner in crime, Jeremy Lambert. Jeremy, how are you tonight? Doing well, Larry. Doing well. How are you? I am fine. Had a had a doctor's appointment uh, today. Uh, it's actually morning, even though I say goodnight. But um, yeah, I had a doctor's appointment this morning. Everything's doing good, progressing nicely. Kind of sitting here in the office now. We're g- getting ready to get ready on the show and get everything done. And I'll tell you what's weird, kind of like slight amputee humor here, is like uh, uh, I started being able to use my office chair again, so I don't always have to be in the wheelchair. But the weird thing is, obviously, you know, my office chair has wheels on it, right? So I sit down in it, not a habit. The first thing I do is put my hands on it, and I go to, like, push the wheels to, like, move. And I'm like, oh, yeah, fuck. So it's, like, uh, it's weird getting used to not being in a wheelchair all the time, but it's also really nice. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's a good thing, I think. Oh, you're, yeah. You're still, you're still on schedule for, we're going to WrestleCade the end of november right i'm gonna be there okay i'm trying i'm working on the whole walking thing it's uh slowly but slowly hey even slowly but slowly uh even if you you gotta use the chair or get you a motorized scooter if we have to the wrestlers will love to talk to you yeah i'd love a little motorized they're gonna see you and be like well we gotta talk to larry especially with him his motorized scooter it'll probably get some gimmicks going with the motorized scooter as well that'd be fantastic but yeah, yeah, I'm I'm getting there. It's a, uh, yeah, it's it's the process, man. It's a uh, one of those things. I'd love it to go faster, but it's a uh, it's not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just gotta gotta keep uh, you know, I like I go to the grocery store a lot, lot just to not even shop, just to walk around in there, you know, with the rule later and try to get as basically as much repetition as possible these days, and you know, hang out with the kids and walk around the grocery store and stuff like that. And it's a uh, it's getting there. But uh, the good news is, Jeremy, I have a lot to keep me occupied, including Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights are the best night for wrestling. I mean, Monday is supposedly the the flagship night with Raw. Fridays is obviously SmackDown now being on Fox as the most potential viewers. But as far as just for fans like us, just watching good wrestling and competent wrestling, uh, the nothing's beating Wednesday nights right now. Wednesday nights is great. I have a feeling Tuesday night is going to be in contention though, because I don't know. Did you see the NWA show? I did. I saw NWA and I, I watched AEW Dark. Tuesday nights are going to be good. I, I like the NWA show. I, I wrote a little bit about it, but to summarize, I'm not as old as you. Sorry. Uh, so the studio like throwback doesn't doesn't hit me as much as it does like older fans. Um, but I still like that that style mainly because it's it's something different. It's not like you know every every other show out there. You can tell like oh this is an indie show. It's in this small little building here. The crowd is hot, whatever. But it's still like an indie show. WWE, AEW, obviously have like the big production values and everything. And Impact and and ROH are like 
almost caught in between to where they're running a little bit bigger buildings than maybe they should. The, the crowd isn't like that big, but they do have good production values. But NWA, they they know their vision. They see it. It's like, we're going to be a studio show. We're going to run in these smaller buildings, but we're going to set it up to where it's, you can tell that it's a studio. It's not trying to be a wrestling arena. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. Their, their in ring work. Isn't going to top like AEW or anything either or NXT, but they're not even going for that. They're, they're an old school style promotion. And I think it's great. I, you know, it's. I don't think it's going to be Wednesday nights. It's only an hour. AEW Dark was fun, but uh, some of the matches were a little disjointed. I thought it wasn't like, you know, the the TV show is is, is much better. Uh, I heard there was a, a awesome Moxley or not Moxley Omega and Janela match from from last night's AEW Dark, which can't wait to watch that. Even though they're, it's unsanctioned, so they're protecting Janela's win loss record. I think. Um, but yeah, Tuesday night is fun with, with NWA power and then impact will be there soon enough and we'll see what happens. They're, they're not beating Wednesday though, but I did like power. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. I, I liked the fact that they went with the old school vibe. I thought it was a great throwback to the Florida championship wrestling slash Jim Crockett promotion studio era shows. And the thing is, is I, I always stress to a lot of people, you can't out WWE WWE. And nor should you try, because anytime you try to out WWE, WWE in terms of like production and scale, for the most part, you come across as WWE light. Don't try to be them. Don't. I just, I keep asking for people to find an identity and stay true to that identity. And apparently, Billy Corgan's vision is right now is an old school studio throwback show, and. In this landscape, I think that there's plenty of room for something like that. It felt like a ton of fun. Good promo work from like Nick Aldis and Eli Drake and Tim Storm on there, which is going to be like the th- and Eddie Kingston. I, dude, you give Eddie Kingston a live mic and you have my attention. So, Eddie Kingston was a not like a weird one, but he he wouldn't seem to fit like the NWA style because he can be a little bit more. Um, what's the word i'm looking for he's, he's edgy he's, he's not, yeah he's not edgy. politically correct yeah yeah edgy edgy is a, is a good word that I, that I was going for there um so he wouldn't you know all this is very clean cut eli drake and, and james storm like in, in a way they're very clean cut as well uh eddie kingston is certainly a little bit more edgy um just with his material but he fits so perfectly and that's what nwa is going for like good promos good storytelling and characters they're not going to wow you with their in-ring work but they're going to get characters over and they're going to do a lot with the the promo so i'm all for that yeah there's not gonna be a ton of four star specials on that show but i really enjoyed it for the promo stuff and the storytelling Definitely going to be appointment viewing for me. AEW Dark definitely has a lot of potential because you're going to be able to get people on there that aren't on TV every week. And so, you know, it's going to be important to get them over. Both shows did really good YouTube numbers. I had fun watching them Tuesday night. And then you're going to add Impact in. So Tuesday's going to be a long but probably really fun night as well. Um, But right now, Wednesdays is the night, Jeremy. And that's what we're going to discuss now. Are you excited? Yeah, it's the Wednesday Night Wars. Damn right. Jay, Jay and Silent Bob, first casualties of war. <laughs> That's right. Apparently, we're supposed to go to the SmackDown debut and we're uninvited. 
<laughs> so we're going to start off with AEW Dynamite, uh, October 9th. And we start off with the AEW Tag Team Championship Tournament match, Jeremy. Private Party defeating the Young Bucks. Just under 14 minutes, your thoughts? Loved it. All out sprint. I've, I've said this many times about Private Party. They are a great moves team. That's not a knock against them in the, in the very uh, least. Like, everything they do looks crisp. And, and smooth um i think it was marquan with the like he was doing just back-to-back suicide dives or he did he did like a suicide dive did, and then on the other side yeah he, he fucking went nuts at one point he, he yeah. did a he did a tope he did like a sauce case special and then he hit a fucking 450 he went right nuts he hit like a fosbury flop as well like he, he was just doing everything but both of these guys you know the hurricane rana into the cutter is an awesome move like they they do everything just looks crisp and clean with with their moves you know the psychology not quite there they're it's very apropos that they get compared to the young bucks and it's apropos that they wrestled the young bucks here and that the young bucks see a lot of themselves in them because the the bucks for the longest time they were just a moves team and that was the knock against them uh and that was what made them very popular but also what turned a lot of people off and then as, as time went on, like the Bucks became like just a really strong tag team as far as just traditional tag team wrestling. And they got down more of the selling. I mean, I think Matt's back is is still hurting him. Um, so they've they got that down as time progressed. And now like the, the Bucks are one of the most complete tag teams in the entire world. I think Private Party will follow that same suit. Right now, they are just, they are a very, very good moves team. And with more time, more seasoning, working with the Young Bucks and being like on television now, they're not. I think that moves thing it works really well uh, in the indies because that's what the crowd pops for and stuff. But as you get to these bigger promotions, you need to tone that down just a little bit. And being on Dynamite, I think they will start to to tone that down and they will start to become like a, a new Young Bucks team. And I thought them winning was the right call. It was a surprise. A lot of people had probably figured the Bucks were the favorites in this tournament. But it... It was very easy for the Bucks to lose. They're not going to lose anything. They're, the crowd is always going to care about them. I don't care if they're like 0-50. Like they're still going to get huge reactions from the crowd. And you make stars in private party right off the bat. So I love this match. I thought it was the best match of AEW's two-week run so far. Yeah, agree. Uh, definitely, it was a great opening match. Uh, they It was smart. They worked a, just a smart opening sprint. They had a hot crowd that were into everything that they were doing. The Bucks are stars, and yeah, they in one night they made Private Party into stars. Now, Private Party was getting over on like the summer shows and stuff, but the fact is, on TV is when it counts the most. You need to get new acts over. You need to get younger guys into the spotlight because that is part of the part of the thing that is drawing people into this company right now. So, Private Party, first of all, they could have lost here and they would have came across like stars anyway because it was such a great match. But them picking up the win is even better because they they move on, they get a chance to continue that in another week, 
And yeah, the Bucks lose absolutely nothing here. They wanted this team into company really bad. They recruited them. They brought them in. They decided, listen, we're going to make these guys fucking stars. And they did it. And all I heard all fucking day was, oh, no chance the Young Bucks are losing this match. The EVPs never lose. That's all I ever hear. And pretty sure Kenny Omega hasn't, like, won a fucking match outside of a trios match. The Bucks, this is their third straight loss. Really, Cody is the only one that is winning. I mean, the Bucks lost the tag match. And that's perfectly fine because he's being set up for a world title match. Yeah, like, like the Bucks lost the ladder match, um, and then they lost uh, the the match last week it, along with Kenny. Like, yeah, really, the only EVP that is winning is, is Cody, which shows that he's the best at his job because he's putting himself in the best position. Yeah, but no, this was really great. I I really really enjoyed it. I agree. I think it was the best of the AEW matches so far. Just a, a total blast crowd into everything, which is another big thing, man. So just really, really good stuff. And yeah, I mean, I think it was the right move. I've seen some people that feel that the Bucks should have won because they need to protect their star power and stuff like that. And I can get that argument. But the thing is, too, is like you said, the Bucks can lose. They can afford to lose right now. They're fine. They're good hey. enough that they can eat losses. And I think at this stage... You need to put an act like Private Party over. The Bucks and Omega and even Cody and Jericho are the five guys who could take losses and not be hurt in in the slightest. I mean, Jericho and Cody aren't taking losses right now because one's a world champion. The other is about to challenge for the title. But the other three are taking losses. Though Those three, because of what they mean to AEW and the fact that they're going to keep getting reactions, they they can afford to take some losses. It's not like they're going to keep... Like I mentioned the Bucks going 0-50. That's not going to happen. Uh, but they, they can... They can use these early shows to take these losses because no one is going to turn on them as far as crowd reaction on these early shows. You keep doing this three months from now, it might be a different story, but they're obviously not going to keep doing this. They're going to win at some point. So I think using these early shows when you know you're going to get these big reactions for the Bucks, for Omega, for Cody, for Jericho to put these younger guys over in some way is that's what you should be doing. Exactly. So next up, we had Chris Jericho arriving with Santana Ortiz, Jake Hager, and Sammy Guevara. Uh, Jericho cut what I thought was a really great promo here. He put over everybody in his group, which is now called the Inner Circle. He crashed the Pro Wrestling Tees website when he told everybody to go there and buy the merchandise. Um, but yeah, he put over everybody in his group uh, huge. put over Sammy Guevara as a... The most talented uh, guy he's seen at his age in a long time. Santana and Ortiz is psychos. Jake Hagar is his giant and toughest MMA fighter in the world. Just did a great job of putting over his guys, which I thought was great. I uh, said they were going to take over AEW, um, and that no matter no matter what anybody says, called Cody, Cody an entitled punk, said he didn't like him or any of his family, called Dusty a jerk and Dustin a moron, and then says... If you step to him, he's going to beat the shit out of you and then have a little bit of the bubble, Jeremy. Chris Jericho fucking rules. I, when I see him on screen, I think like 
everyone considers him one of the greatest. I mean, he considers himself one of the greatest. And, but you, when you when you talk about like the pantheon of, of pro wrestling history, you're rarely going to mention Jericho with like Austin, The Rock, Flair, Hogan. Like he, Chris Jericho rarely finds himself on that list, and I know why. It's because he wasn't the the draw during the eras that that they were, but he's right there with them in my mind with, with his longevity outside of flair. And I guess Hogan, uh, like no one had the longevity. Austin and rock certainly didn't have the longevity of Jericho. I, I often find myself wondering like, where would AEW be without Chris Jericho? And I don't think they would be on TNT with as much fans and as, as much uh, momentum as they have right now. Because Jericho just, you know, he did his own cruise thing. He Every time he gets anything over, the guy got a fucking plant over. He got a fucking clipboard over. Like, this man gets anything you put in front of him over. And, yeah, Jer- Jericho's great. This promo was fantastic. Uh, the, the shots at WWE... It's fine. I d- don't make it a habit, as we as we've said many times. Um, but for Jericho, in the way he did it, he he's one guy who can definitely get away with it without it feeling like it's coming off as as sour and, and bitter tears. Like if Sean Spears tried to do this shit, then it's it's a different ballgame. Even when Cody tries to do it, it feels a little bit uh, sour and bitter. But Jericho, with the way he did it here, it worked. I still don't want them to make a habit of it. Um, we still need to get Santana and Ortiz some names as well because Santana and Ortiz just ain't working for me. Think of the T-shirts you guys are missing out on by not giving them a tag team name. That's right. I think the reason that the Jericho shot at WWE didn't bother me was because it wasn't like, here's Jake Hager, he's a badass. WWE fucked him in the ass with their creative. I mean, he didn't say anything until everybody started the We The People chant. When right. they started that, and then he was like, he's like, We the People's dead. We the People was a stupid idea from Bad Creative. It's dead and gone. And I thought in that aspect, it was okay because he was reacting to the crowd. It wasn't like he's going to go out there and he's like, I'm going to fucking bury Vince on because of the swagger stuff. Ha ha ha. You know what I mean? Right. I And that's why it didn't bother me as much. But there were still the clear shots of... Uh, he's an undefeated MMA fighter. He could beat any current fighter, former fighter, boxer. Like, all right, you're taking shots at Kane, Tyson Fury stuff, which, fine, it's, in some regards, like, the Kane and Tyson Fury stuff should be taking shots at. So, it, but Jericho is a guy that, once again, can get away with this stuff. And, and I'm with you that the fact that the We The People thing, it was spontaneous, of the the crowd reaction and not something that was in his head one he's great that's why chris jericho is one of the best because he played off of the crowd reaction you rarely see that nowadays in in wwe um and and that's why it didn't bother me as much either because it was so spontaneous yeah and as far as like the like the the shots at like kane and fury i I think it was i mean yeah it was obviously a shot but i also think that it was more I mean, he was really trying his all to put Swagger over, or Hagar over, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah I mean, the shots w- were there, that. but at least he was like, the the main goal of it was, this dude's a fucking badass, he's not just the We The People guy. 
Sure. So. I, I agree. And, you know, maybe he says these same things if uh, WWE doesn't bring in Kane and, and Tyson Fury because he was, the goal was to put Hagar over. But because of the timeline of things, like, is Jericho really going to be mentioning a boxer that Hagar can beat? Uh, if exactly, yeah. WWE doesn't bring in Tyson Fury, probably not. So it, it was a little bit of both. It, it was to put Hagar over, and it was a it was an obvious shot at WWE. Let's let's be honest. It was no, I, I definitely agree. But I mean, I just think that the root of everything was. I thought Jericho did a great job of putting his guys over. Yes, for for sure. And I like that he was the only one to talk. Like, don't give Sammy Guevara, even though he's a he's a fine promo. Like, don't give him the mic. Don't give Santana or Ortiz the mic, even though they're a good promo. Uh, and don't give Hagar the mic. I don't think he's a great promo. He'll talk about his emotional boner or something. Uh, I like that Jericho was the only guy to talk, and then he has his muscle around him. It, you know, we see so often when groups come out, and it's like everyone's got to have the mic. And it's like, all right, not everyone needs to talk. You have a leader for a reason, and the leader should have the mic for a reason like when you go to or when you not when you go to mob meetings when you see mob meetings on television not everyone gets a turn in those meetings like the the boss does the talking and the other guys sit there and they they back him up and they're quiet and they're uh, you know they're they're they say nothing but they say everything with just facial expressions and mannerisms and that's what happened here exactly so, moving on, we had a contenders match. Jimmy Havoc versus Darby Allen. Winner faces Chris Jericho next week. Darby Allen defeated Jimmy Havoc at 10 minutes. Jeremy, via pin, your thoughts? It was fine. I, my biggest problem with this match is it didn't feel like a number one contenders match because we haven't seen Darby Allen on TV. Uh, he was, he, you know, he beat Shima on AEW Dark, and that was a... That was the best match, I thought, on AEW Dark. Uh, yeah. The crowd was really into that, and they they loved Darby Allen. Uh, you know, he he went to the draw with Cody, but that feels like forever ago at, at this point. And and Jimmy Havoc is the, the same thing. We haven't seen him on TV. He did win the Cracker Barrel Clash, but even, like, that's his only win. Um, it, it just didn't feel like it was a match between two guys who should be in the number one contender match. And Pac on commentary, who I thought was really good, pretty much pointed that out. He was just like, uh, yeah, the, this isn't a number one contenders match. Or maybe it was on commentary a little bit later. Uh, but either way, when he was on commentary, he pretty much pointed out that this isn't – why am I not getting my title shot? Yeah. Um, I thought the match was pretty good overall. Obviously, Darby Allen was the the right winner, and I mean, obviously, this plays into a big story. They're trying to make Darby Allen a star, like Private Party. Uh, Darby Allen was the right winner because the thing is, he's a great babyface. Number one, number two, he's gonna lose to Chris Jericho, obviously. And the best part about that is when Jericho beats him. He's going to use that to completely mock Cody for failing to beat Darby Allen because Cody and Darby went through a draw, as Jeremy previously mentioned. Uh, match is pretty good. The only thing I didn't like is I felt it should have been a little more of a showcase for Darby. Not like a squash or a domination, but I think he should have got more in the match over Jimmy Havoc, who I find to be completely average unless he's trying to kill himself. 
Yeah, not much with Jimmy Havoc, and this is what we talked about previously, is Jimmy Havoc's style is very much blood and guts, and that's not going to fly as well on television. They're not going to be doing these crazy spots on TV. I guess they're saving that for AW Dark based on uh, Omega and Janela. But they're not going to be doing that stuff on TV. So when you put him in these TV matches, he doesn't come across as anything special because he's not a great wrestler in in the traditional sense. He's a good promo. He's a he's very good like hardcore wrestler. But as far as just like a singles match, there's not much to him. And Darby Allen is much better with big guys or bigger guys like really killing him and him bumping his ass off. And that's not what Jimmy Havoc is good at. So it was a weird styles clash that it. It made for a fine match, but certainly, and this is again why it didn't feel like a number one contenders match to me. Fair enough. Uh, we move on. Uh, women's tag team action. Uh, Darby Allen does ch- uh, challenge Jerrica next week, by the way. Uh, Riho and Dr. Britt Baker. Jeremy, did you know she's a dentist? <laughs> I love that she has mouth based offense. Like her mandible claw was awesome. And it makes perfect sense because she is a dentist. And so if she fucks up uh, her opponent's teeth, they have to go to her to get it fixed. So she's making double the money as the wrestler and the dentist. I thought this was great. I Anytime Britt Baker is not attacking her opponent's mouth, I think is a, a misfire because she should always be going after the jaw. So Rio and Dr. Britt Baker defeated B Priestley and Emmy Sakura 845 via submission. As Jeremy mentioned, the, the finish was is basically Dr. Britt Baker starts working a cross face and then she adds a mandible claw in and she got the win with that on AEW Dark as well as on the Wednesday night show here. Uh, I thought it was a good tag match. They did a nice job of continuing the Britt Baker B Priestley feud that's been ongoing. And uh, basically with the win, they used this to set up uh, Riho versus Dr. Britt Baker for next week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that match. It it feels a little early to, to beat. I'm assuming Britt Baker is going to lose. Um, and that is one issue. I, I'll mention this again a little bit later. Um I'll save it. I'll save it for later after the Spears and, and Moxley match, actually. But yeah, it, it feels a little bit early for the the Baker Riho one on one match. I think you could have saved that for a little bit down the line. But Baker, the the feud is obviously with B Priestley right now, and they're probably going to end up in, in a singles bout at, at full gear. And maybe Nyla Rose gets involved somehow next week to to set up a, a rematch with with her and Riho at, at full gear. So. Uh, Riho and Baker was was winning was, was certainly the right call. You're not gonna have Riho's team lose one week after she wins the title. Uh, two two kind of complaints here. The the first one is one just the the booking of the match. I don't know if Baker and Riho needed to be a team right here. I think you could have almost teamed Baker with someone else. Two was Baker and B. We just saw them on opposite teams on AEW dark. We saw it again here. So when they do have a one-on-one match, it won't feel as big because we've seen them now wrestle in back-to-back tag team matches where they they've gone after each other. I think it's fair point, but I, I don't think it's been overdone yet because it is limited with them being in tags. It's not like we're burning through singles matches on TV and booking 50, 50, you know what I mean? 
I don't sure, mind the I, tag match interactions, but I, I do think it's a decent point to be made that like maybe some of the heat will be gone by the time they face. I, I think my biggest issue was that if you watched AEW Dark on Tuesday and then you watch this on Wednesday, it's literally you're seeing them square off in, in back-to-back matches. And, and for someone like me, I didn't catch AEW Dark until Wednesday morning, afternoon. So like the same day, I was watching B Priestley and, and Britt Baker fight each other. And it just... I guess considering being that it was, you know, the second time in 24 hours, really maybe even like 12 hours that I had, I'd seen them wrestle each other. It felt like a little much knowing we're going to get a singles match in, in a month or so anyway. So it, it's not overkill yet. I don't want to see it continue though. Like I hope they don't have tag matches against each other uh, until the the actual pay-per-view. Maybe you do something the week of the pay-per-view for the go home show, but otherwise just keep them separated uh, until then. Fair enough. We move on. Um, had a best friends video package. They were in the crowd getting interviewed about the tag title tournament. They face SCU next week. Orange Cassidy was there. Gave a big thumbs up. Yeah. Everybody loves Orange Cassidy. The best part of AEW Dark was the little kid dressed as Orange Cassidy. Yeah, that was that was great. It was amazing. <laughs> so uh, Pac joins commentary. We get John Moxley defeating Sean Spears, eleven fifty five via pin. I thought it was a good match. I mean, um, Spears isn't going to wow you, and I know a lot of people just everybody likes to shit on him right away. Oh, it's the fucking ten guy. Listen, I mean, dude is a good wrestler, okay? He's not a main event guy, obviously. He's not going to be your top heel. He had a good match. John Moxley looked good coming off the elbow injury and surgery. He looked healthy, looked ready to go, and he was looking to kick ass. Picks up his first win on TV. I thought the pack stuff, pack stuff, whatever the fuck, that's going to confuse me for life now. <laughs> um, anyway, his stuff on commentary was kind of limited, but what was there was really good talking about not being the number one contender. Why are these guys on TV and he's not wrestling against stuff like that? So I really enjoyed that. And, uh, I'm much more of a less is more on commentary when wrestlers appear guy anyway. So I'd rather him just have some good points here and there than just ramble on for no reason. I thought Pac was great on commentary as well. Come compared to Britt Baker last week, who she also wasn't, she didn't say many lines, but even when she did talk, it didn't feel like it added anything. When Pac talked, it did feel like he had a point to things. As far as the match goes, it was fine. My, my biggest issue is with Sean Spears and just the presentation of him you know, you got Orange Cassidy in the crowd. Big pop, huge pop. The lights go out. People are like, oh, what, what's going on? I thought it was going to lead to some Dark Order nonsense. Um, and instead, it's Sean Spears sitting there, like no reaction. I, I said it after All Out. This guy was a complete afterthought in, in that whole ordeal. He was the fifth most important guy after Cody, Tully, Arn, and MJF. They, then you had... Um, and fuck even Pharaoh. And then, then you had Sean Spears like, oh yeah, that guy, but he lost. It was the same deal here. He loses the Moxley and he is the, the, the fifth most important guy or maybe the fourth, my math is bad, but it, it's Moxley, Pac, Omega, and then it's uh, Sean Spears. That's who you remember once this entire segment was over. He, and, and totally. So, so he's a complete afterthought. I don't understand if you 
if you see something in Sean Spears, and maybe they do, maybe they don't at this point, honestly. Maybe he is just a good hand. Maybe he, maybe this is a political hit for him uh, cutting Cody open with the, the chair because he, he fucked up that spot and people weren't happy with him about that. Um, but if you see something in him, why are you booking this match? Because you know he's not beating Moxley. You're not having Moxley lose his, his first televised match. So... And and this this is going to be my point earlier. Some of these matches they are booking do feel a little predictable. Private Party Young Bucks was unpredictable because a lot of people thought Private or Young Bucks are going to win. Private Party winning was still a good call, but like Darby Allen was obviously going to beat Jimmy Havoc. Moxley was obviously going to beat um, Sean Spears. The main event. Dustin Rose was obviously going to take that pinfall uh, to Jericho and, and Guevara. And, and even the women's tag team match. All right. the um, What's her name? Sorry, I, I forgot it. Um, you know, Riho and Baker were, were not going to lose that match. And um, B Priestley's partner was obviously going to take that pinfall. And I think that's a little concerning early is I feel like I know the result of the match before it happens. And, and this was a, a prime example of Sean Spears had no fucking chance in this match. And I don't know why you book it. If you actually see something in him. Well, that's the thing though. I mean, maybe his role is just to be the good hand dude. Yeah, that's fine. And that's, that's what I said after all out. Like yeah. if that's his role, great. I, but here, here's my counter to that. If that's his role, you're wasting Tully Blanchard and his appearances. Well, I mean, maybe it leads to something down the line, but I mean, at the start, I mean, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with him being a good hand. I do see the argument about wasting Tully because I wouldn't want to do that and burn it all the way, you know, because I think Tully still has a lot to offer, as we've seen. But I mean, right now, the thing is, though, is like, it's funny, I've seen a lot of people, and I'm not saying you, but like, I totally get your point, and it makes a ton of sense. But I'm seeing people all of a sudden are like, defending Sean Spears, and why aren't they doing anything with him? Conversely, you know if he was winning fucking matches, they'd be like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck is the 10 guy doing winning on TV? So it's like the weirdest argument, at least you actually have a point to yours. But yeah, it's like, it's really weird because... I, I I read a bunch of stuff on here like, oh, so Dean Ambrose faced the 10 guy with the old horseman in the corner. It's like, wow. I'm like, that's a really fucking myopic view of shit, isn't it? It's like, I'm sorry. If you don't see the fact that John Moxley is not fucking Dean Ambrose anymore on several levels, I don't know what to tell you, okay? Yeah, Moxley. I, we didn't talk about him enough in this one. Moxley fucking rules. Um... Somebody tweeted, they, I, I'm sure you saw that Moxley promo that he did uh, that they put out on Twitter, which really should have been on television as well. Like that should have been fuck doing the lights out and giving Sean Spears this this big uh, entrance here. Like show that Moxley promo be beforehand and to just have Sean Spears in the ring. Um, first off, I don't care if they push Sean Spears or not. My, my complaint is that they acted like this guy was going to be a big deal. And I was kind of behind him leading up to that Cody feud because 
it was a good story uh, that they were trying to tell. I thought Sean Spears' promo with Jim Ross and alongside Tully Blanchard was great. It's just then they beat him and make him like an afterthought. And it's like, okay, what are you doing with this guy? That's that's my issue. If they push him, fantastic. I, I think he probably does have more to offer. I don't see him as the 10 guy. If they don't push him, whatever. If they, they're going to treat him as just like a mid-card guy, that's fine by me. But don't act like he's this main event guy and then treat him like a mid card guy. Cause then that's where the disconnect is for me. Uh, as far as Moxley goes, that, that promo, uh, before on social media was fucking awesome. And somebody pointed out that like, this was the concept of Eminem's entire last album. And I'm a huge Eminem fan. And I was like, Holy fuck. John Moxley is essentially Eminem. And now I'm an even bigger fan of this guy because he's just here to fucking destroy everyone. And he thinks he's the best or he knows he's, he knows he's the best. He can talk circles around anybody. He can out wrestle anybody. And if you come after him, he is going to just slit your throat. And I think it's a perfect comparison. I love it. And now I'm an even bigger fan of John Moxley. And people who've listened to this podcast on our New Japan reviews know that I'm already all in on Moxley. So, yeah, John Moxley, the fucking best right now. So, post match, Kenneth Omega arrived with a barbed wire bat and a barbed wire broom, tossed the bat to Moxley. He was all ready to duke it out and fight to the death. And then Pac laid out Kenny Omega with a chair shot walked off and then moxley was like well fuck i don't get to kick anybody's ass now so he left (laughs) so i kind of dug that though because obviously we're still building to moxley and omega to pay-per-view and i kind of like pack sticking his nose into shit because he's obviously in the mix for a title shot coming up he's undefeated and i think down the line this could be a really fun triple threat match as well yeah, I I'm I'm with you. I thought that the post match angle was good. I like Kenny Omega's barbed wire cleaner broom. My my one thing is there seems to be a disconnect with being the elite and the TV show because Omega was like the cleaner's not returning, and then this was an obvious like kind of cleaner jab here. Um, and and we haven't seen like that kind of paranoid or losing his mind Kenny Omega on the AEW Dynamite show, and maybe he hasn't gotten a chance to really show it off because he hasn't had any promos but like last week saving Riho that wasn't like a Kenny Omega losing his mind kind of thing so we'll, we'll see what happens there but I haven't seen much of being the elite bleed into dynamite and I'm not saying that's a bad thing it's just the the presentation and the optics of it all that there's a disconnect there and I think that can be a confusing thing for for some fans Post-match angle was great, though. I like Pac just being a fucking bastard. And Moxley's like, all right, he's laid out. I'm not going to kick the man while he's down, even though maybe that's what John Moxley should have done. Um, he just left. He's like, oh, there's there's no fight, so forget it. Yeah, it was funny because I think Moxley almost just, he looked more disappointed that he didn't get to kick his ass. He's yeah. like, well, Pac beat me to the punch. Well, fuck off. I'm just going to leave. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, we go on to our main event, Jeremy. Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara defeating Dusty Ro- Dustin Rhodes and Hangman Page, 1335 via pin. Your thoughts first. Good match. Dustin is awesome. Like, still just so, so good. Guevara and Jericho got some shine here. Page, Page has got to sell a little bit better. I thought that maybe he just didn't sell a lot of stuff. And I don't know, Hangman Page... 
not doing a, a whole lot for me. His, his match last week against Pac was really good, but otherwise not doing too much for me. Dustin ruled. Can we get this guy just a win? I, I understand he's there to take losses. I just want this guy to just beat somebody and to just, you know, have him win because he's been really good in this. Uh, he's only had three matches, but really good in all three matches. So I, I, thought, I thought it was a, a good main event. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I thought the work was strong throughout. I liked Paige tagging with Dustin a lot. I think they could possibly be like a really fun like undercard tag team, and there's a ton Paige can learn from working with him. And I also loved uh, Guevara getting to work against Dustin because, again, there that's nothing but a positive, and Guevara can learn a ton working against a guy like Dustin. And like you said, Dustin is. He is fucking great. Everything he does is clean, he's crisp, he's in the right place at the right time. Just like, you know, an extremely professional veteran that doesn't... What I think I love the most about him is he doesn't take himself too seriously. He knows exactly what his role is. He just wants to go out there and work, though, you know? He doesn't want to fucking... Like he said, he didn't want to take a check and sit in catering. He felt he had more to offer. And he does, because teaming with a guy like Paige can teach Paige a lot. Working against a guy like Guevara can teach him a lot. And it's just, there's so much good in that. And I really enjoyed that. And then post-match, we got the big WCW-style angle, minus the shitty ending of a match and a non-finish and or disqualification like WCW did like every week. The inner circle beat down Dustin as Paige and Hager brawled to the floor. The lights went out. Cody arrived, hits crossroads on Guevara, Santana and Ortiz blindside him, and then MJF arrives with a chair, Jeremy. And he teases hitting Cody, and the crowd is ready to turn on this bastard. Because they know he's turning eventually. They know it's coming. But MJF makes the save and attacks the inner circle with chair shots. Unfortunately for MJF, he takes too much time to celebrate. Jericho lays him out with the code breaker. The Young Bucks arrive and make the save with super kicks. They brawl with Santana and Ortiz, setting up a match between them. Jericho sneaks out of the chaos and thinks he's getting uh, out of there without being hurt. Darby fucking Allen rides down the ramp on his skateboard, dives <laughs> on the Jericho, and then beats the shit out of him with the skateboard as the baby faces stand tall. So we continued to build the Cody versus Jericho. We set up Hangman Page versus Jake Hagar. We continued to build to a Young Bucks versus Santana and Ortiz match. We built the Darby Allen Jericho match for next week. The baby faces are a unit it appears for right now against the heels. They actually have friends, and we continued the tease of MJF turning on Cody. It was a pretty fucking great ending, Jeremy. It was, it, it was the, the MJF thing and Darby riding down on the skateboard were the obvious highlights here. Um, the MJF stuff, he, he is so, so good and yeah, everyone knows he's turning, you know, we thought it was kind of coming at all out and they teased it a little bit there. They, they keep doing these little teases, but I, I don't think they're pulling the trigger anytime soon. I think it's going to be a while. Um, and I think that's smart. As long as it doesn't go too long, um, then th- when it does happen, like this man is just going to get massive, massive booze. Because I-, I think a reason why it's smart is not everyone is like 
100% clued in on the MJF Cody relationship, at least to the level that if you've been following the be- being the elites and all that for uh, months on end, then sure, you know what's going on. If you're a new television viewer, you really don't know how good of friends MJF and Cody are because we didn't really see it last week because MJF did not come out and save Cody or help Cody. And we, we saw it this week and th- there was good explanation of it this week, but that's essentially only one week. If you're starting fresh watching AEW dynamite and you haven't gone back in and watched a lot of that stuff. So you could tease this for a very long time. There, there's so much life and legs out of this uh, entire angle. And I can't wait until the turn happens. Cause it, it's going to be awesome. My only complaint on this is it felt very similar to last week where guys just kept running in and kept running in and then someone stood tall at the end um the and this week it was the baby phases it was hot it worked again it just like it worked last week because last week you had the big hagar debut and the the formation of the inner circle this week you had the the mjfts and the the darby allen skateboard thing which just got a massive pop i hope they're not gonna be trying to do this every single week because that's when you get the diminishing return. So next week, just give me a little bit different with the uh, the finish. I assume like Jericho and Darby is going to headline. So I don't want to see after the match, after Jericho presumably wins. I don't want to see Cody run in and then the inner circle run in and then MJF run in and the elite and all that. Like, I don't want to see that again. Dude, give me something different next week. Yeah, you certainly can't do it every week. That 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 is one hundred percent true, and I agree with that. Uh, the good thing is, though, is that it obviously made sense following up on last week, and it was extremely well done, and the angle got over. But yeah, like you said, and I completely agree. You just you cannot do it every week. Number one, it just it becomes boring after a while. Like when WCW would end every week in a random fucking schmoz, and that became extremely annoying. So you can't just do it over, do it over, do it over. But I think the first two weeks, it's okay because we're establishing that heel group. We're establishing the baby faces against it and everything. But hopefully they have something planned different for next week to close the show because, as you said, the best phrase, diminishing returns. Yeah, and and again, it works the first two weeks because the crowd was so hot. But you, you keep doing it the crowd's going to just start being like, all right, uh, I've, I've seen this before. Like, okay, when's the next guy coming in? So yeah, the d- diminishing returns is what it'll eventually be. But hey, I, I can't knock anything that the crowd just goes absolutely nutso for because, you know, if it gets over in the building, then obviously they're, they're doing something right. It's just a, a, a sticking point to where if they keep doing it, the reactions might start getting a little bit smaller, but Hey, fuck if they do it every single week and the crowd reacts to it like this every single week, I guess they're close every show like this. Yeah. I mean, again, if it's over, I mean, that's one thing, but if it starts getting to the point where people are like, eh, and then you see people just like not reacting and looking to the back, excuse me. Uh, yeah, it's, um, you definitely have to change things up. So I'll be interested to see how they close things next week. Same. Uh, overall, though, another great AEW Dynamite. Like, shit, this show's awesome. 
Yeah, loved it. Uh, I really enjoyed the show this week. So, good times. Wednesday was off to a good start because obviously I watched this show first because I have to do the live coverage. And then we move on to NXT, Jeremy. We opened up with Leo Rush defeating Cruiserweight Champion Drew Gulak, 8-15 via pin. Your thoughts? Great match. This was the good counter to the Young Bucks private party match because... In both matches, you just kind of got like all out sprints, and that's you know, uh, I'm all for that. Uh, Gulak and Leo didn't really take a break or anything like that, they they went balls to the wall from start to finish. Leo winning the correct call because Gulak's run it, it's been fine, but it, it's clear they're going to have a fresh start with the cruiserweight title, and 205 Light Live might just be completely dead at this point. Hey, you know, it's already been renamed the NXT Cruiserweight title. So you put the belt on Leo. He's over. He, he's really over in full sail. He's also like super charismatic. Um, he's got the, you know, he can do media interviews and things like that to maybe bring some more attention and eyeballs. You know, he's got the, his rap career as well. So Leo winning makes sense, not only in just a, on a wrestling perspective, but also from a NXT business perspective. I like Leo winning a lot. I do think it was a good call. I think the only thing I didn't enjoy about this, and I, I thought the match was really good is that like, him coming back, winning the number one contendership, and then winning the title so soon felt like something that could have been done over a little bit longer bit of time. It felt a little rushed to me. I think that's like a minor complaint overall because I did like the match a lot. I think the uh, the switch to Leo is good. Be interesting to see how he's pushed going forward as the champion. He looks revitalized and ready to be back. Drew, Drew Gulak was a really good champion. I'm sure they'll have a rematch at some point, and I'll be interested to see that because this was really good, and it'll probably be even better the second time. Uh, but yeah, I'm, just, I'm more curious about what's going on with the cruiserweights going forward, honestly. Yeah, um, we'll we'll see. But if they're going to put matches in uh, in front of the full sale crowd, then they're probably going to get over pretty quickly because the full sale crowd eats that stuff up. Exactly. That's the kind of audience they should have been in front of from the beginning. So post-match, William Regal puts the title belt on Rush, uh, but Drew Gulak takes it away from him, hands it to Leo, and then they shake hands as uh, Gulak basically endorses him as the new champion. I didn't like this. Yeah, I thought Drew should have been a little more upset about the loss. Because he's been kind of ruthless the past couple months. And it's just like... He lost the title, and he's like, good job, little feller. Yeah, that that's the thing. It didn't feel like it fit with Gulak's character. It, I get what they were going for, but for, for Gulak's character, I, I wouldn't see him passing the title to Leo Rush. Like, why? what did Leo Rush do to get this title shot? He beat Oni, which is a, a very good win to get it. But before that, like he was sidelined for six months or whatever the fuck it was. Um, like Drew Gulak, the character of Drew Gulak should have been like, this dude sat on the sidelines for four, five, six months, comes back, gets one win, gets his title shot, beats me. Okay, cool. That doesn't mean shit to me. Like, you know, let, let's do this again. Like, you've got to actually earn this instead of just like, all right, yeah, he won. Good good job, buddy. I, I wasn't a fan of this. Yeah, he should have beat like, the shit out of Leo and he should have beat the shit out of William Regal as well. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
You, you don't fuck with Sir William, okay? Get the that dude. The heat this man would get if they did that. I, I you probably better off saving that heat for somebody who isn't Drew Gulak. No knock on him. I, I love Drew Gulak, but that would be a a big angle to do if if Regal is going to be getting the shit kicked out of him. Yeah, you got to save that for somebody big. So, uh, Walter and Kushida were preparing for their uh, main event match backstage. Got a Finn Balor video package. Then we got a Tegan Knox video package. She returns to NXT next week. Next up, Rhea Ripley destroyed Aaliyah in a minute and 22 seconds via submission. She used, uh, basically she overpowered her to begin. Aaliyah tried to fight back. She made the mistake of pissing off Rhea. Rhea beat the shit out of her with clotheslines, locked on the inverted cloverleaf, swung her on, slammed her down, and kept the submission for the win. I uh, thought it was a beautiful squash. Rhea came off like a complete star. And then post-match told Shayna Baszler that she was coming for her. Jeremy, your thoughts? I'm fine with the squash matches. I love squash matches. Helps get people over quickly. Rhea Ripley is the perfect person to do that with. And then if she's going to call Baszler, great. Give me that match. I think she is a fantastic challenger because Baszler is seemingly run through everyone. So you get Rhea in there. She's the size of Baszler. She has the attitude of Baszler. Like she can throw hands with her and I can't wait for them to have an actual match with an actual finish. Exactly. So, uh, next up ever rise was, uh, going to face the, uh, fashion police, but, uh, Jackson Ricker took them out. So the forgotten sons took their place. Which led to Steve Cutler and Wesley Blake defeating uh, Tyler Breeze and Fandango at three minutes via pin. It was a short uh, and it was actually a short and fun little match. Um, got some dives in there towards the end. Fandango looks really good coming back off injury, and uh, the WC Saturday, WCW Saturday Night Forgotten Sons pick up the win. This sucked. No, I love Breezango. Their entrance was. I guess they're just running through the entire YMCA cast here. Um, get the Forgotten Sons out of here, though. Honestly, they they don't do anything for me. They they shouldn't be beating Brizongo. Like j- just get these guys away. Put them to send them to NXT UK. Send them to Evolve or some shit. Just get them out of here. Some of the Evolve would be good. Don't, I, I just don't, don't sell the NXT UK with them. There's there's nothing there's nothing there with them. They it's their name is literally the Forgotten Sons. Like these are just forgotten guys who got together and now they they want us to like them or is some shit. Like I don't know. I don't get them. I don't think any of them are all that great. You know, Big Match Buddy thriving. Wesley Blake just a dude who I couldn't pick out of a lineup. I constantly confuse him and Steve Cutler during the matches. Dude, I have no fucking idea. Like, when I'm doing results and stuff, and it says, like, the Forgotten Sons one, I'm like, all right, which two? And someone's like, well, Cutler and Blake are the two tag team guys, and Riker is kind of the singles guy. I'm like, okay, which one is which? Riker is the dude that used to be Gunner, man. Sure. I I remember Gunner, sort of. Uh, I have no use for any of these guys. And there's so much talent in NXT that these guys shouldn't be, shouldn't be anything, you know, get, get, give me uh Brizongo against uh, Oni and, and, and 
uh, Danny Birch. Like, give me that match. I feel like they may have done that recently, but give me give me that match. I get these Forgotten Sons goofs out of here. Fair enough. Not a fan, Jeremy, huh? No. <laughs> we got the a... Women of Honor of NXT. <laughs> Uh, we got a good uh, Keith Lee video package sending up next week's rematch with uh, Dominic Dijakovic. Can't wait. I know. Good stuff. Piss off the internet by doing top rope destroyers for a two count. I know. Oh, you know what cracks me up is watching like main roster WWE guys bitch about NXT. It's like, get the fuck over yourself. You're just upset because people are talking about them. It was like one of yeah. the one of the fucking um, revival were like, oh, so now we're doing top rope destroyers like a fucking hip toss, huh? It's like, oh, Jesus Christ, dude! You used to be so much fun before you came jaded and hung out with Shane on TV and shit. <laughs> I don't know how much they were working a gimmick or how much they believe this stuff because I mean, you watch those revival american alpha and diy matches and they were kicking out of some nutso shit as well so i think i think they're mainly just bitter that they can't do shit like that anymore and they're reduced to five minute tag matches if they're on the show at all well that's fair enough if they're upset about that no doubt but i'm sure they wouldn't mind taking a trip down to nxt and having a fun match yeah i they'd probably love it Seriously, send a revival down there and let them have a match with Oni and Danny Birch. I'm all over that. Anyway, I'm for that. 100% for that. Next up, Cameron Grimes defeated Boa in six seconds with the running double stomp. Fantastic. Yeah. Cam- Cameron, Cameron Grimes, Grimes in his hat. Fucking love Cameron Grimes. I know people are like pissed at his hat and they're like, what's Cameron Grimes supposed to be? I don't know. He's a fucking cowboy magician with a badass hat who just runs through people. Hey, I'm all for six second double stomp wins. So yeah. then after the match, Killian Dane attack, took out Grimes and hit a Vader bomb on Boa, then slammed him onto the commentary table. Guess we're building for a Cameron Grimes Killian Dane match, which could be all kinds of fun. Yeah, Cameron Grimes, Killian Dane. I'm I'm for that. Boa, no, whatever. He got squashed. Who cares? Um, yeah, Cameron Grimes and Killian Dane. Put put the belt on Cameron Grimes. So Damian Priest uh, then cut a really good uh, pre-tape video daily on Pete Dunne, setting up their match for next week. This was well done video package, just like the Keith Lee one. Yep, I, I like NXT's use of video package. This is something. I complained about with AEW last week and it was the same thing this week. I didn't think AEW was strong in the video package department. They did the best friends one, which was kind of awkward and you know, orange Cassidy got the biggest pop of the entire thing and he's not even in the tournament. You know, I didn't think AEW did enough to, to push the, the tag team title tournament for next week. Like you've got uh, Lucha bros against Jurassic express. And that wasn't really mentioned. Like if you haven't watched the show, you don't really know who Jurassic Express is. And the Lucha Bros are just guys who were brawling with SCU and they're not even facing them. And like SCU weren't even mentioned or anything on the show this week. There was no video package. So I like that NXT is using these video packages to put over talent who is basically like, hey, these are the guys you're going to see next week. This is what matters. Um, Like this is why you should be interested in this match. I, I really like that. 
Exactly. It's a very simple thing to do, but something that gets overlooked all too often in wrestling. Yeah. Uh, next up, North American champion Roderick Strong defeated Isaiah Scott 1033 via submission. Jeremy, your thoughts? Enjoyable match. Roderick Strong rules. Isaiah Scott, I like that he got some shine here and, you know, he can hang with anybody. It's tough to have a bad match with Roderick Strong and when you have the talent roster that NXT has, like you're probably, if you give them time, they're probably going to have a good match. And and that's what this was. Roderick Strong winning, obviously the right call, even if it was a, a non-title match, like you're, you're not really going to beat him at this point. So good match, Roderick Strong, you know, he's, he's the, not the ace of the undisputed era, but he's, he's been so consistent for so long and Isaiah Scott gets some shine. Hopefully he's not off TV for five weeks now. Definitely. Um, yeah, I thought this was really good. I like that Scott got a lot in, looked more than competitive against Roddy. Uh, Roddy, like you said, he is so good. Almost underappreciated for like the last 10 years of his body of work because he's just been so consistently great with such a wide variety of talent. Never disappoints. So, yeah. Really good stuff. Post-match, Adam Cole mockingly told everybody to give it up for Isaiah Scott. Said that he's good, but nowhere near Roddy's level. But he loves that in NXT, the best come out and they try to compare themselves to the Undisputed Era. Which is why Finn Balor and Tommaso Ciampa returned. They think they will uh, uncrown the Undisputed Era, but they are wrong. Which led to the Velveteen Dream arriving. Said that the reality is that the Undisputed Era, some of you are great. Roderick Strong... Um, follow the dream, or he should allow the dream to show you what, what a rivalry really is. Um, then he showed the photo of Roddy posing on the couch naked with the belt. Uh, they're setting up a match in two weeks, uh, the big rematch between them. Dream says when he strips some of the title, the world will see that you really don't measure up. And then he showed the same photo without the belt and a very tiny blurred out area. Because you see, Roger Strong allegedly has a small penis, Jeremy. <laughs> That's that subtle man style humor. Was this stupid? Yes. Did it work because it's the Velveteen Dream? Yeah. Also, yes. I, you anyone else tries to do this dumb shit, and it, it's exactly that. It's dumb shit. But it, because it's Velveteen Dream, and like he would be the guy who like Photoshop. I mean. Dude, we saw this guy change the words to the national anthem and sing it and shit. Like, this guy, that's who he is. So, it, it worked. I like, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter, Marina Shafir tweeted, like, uh, oh, this is us after our honeymoon, and she was in a wheelchair. So, she's like, just saying. Uh, I it, it worked for me. It was it was completely corny, but uh, Velveteen Dream can pull it off. Not, I, I would venture to say, ninety nine percent of the roster could not. Velveteen Dream is certainly the one percent that it's like, all right, the this guy could do it. In case you missed it, Roger Strong has a small dick, Jeremy. Just you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was fine. I, I did. I chuckled because it was Velveteen Dream. It was. It felt like a very main roster Vince segment, but it was. I did chuckle. Well, I'm not gonna lie. I, I would be totally lying if I said I didn't. But it, and it does kind of work because Dream makes a lot of stuff work that really shouldn't. And you know, it's like you. And I'm I'm not saying he's in the same league. Please don't misconstrue this. But like, you look back on some of the shit The Rock was able to get over, 
And it's amazing what you can get over when you have good delivery and charisma. So, that's a that's a good comparison. I know you're not saying they're in the same league, and maybe people might be mad at you for even like thinking that way. But it is a good comparison of like like the Rock, the STD shit with Baron Corbin. Is that really funny? Like you, you know, like if Seth Rollins tries to call Baron Corbin an STD, are we like rolling our uh you know rolling on the floor laughing, whatever the saying is? Like no, we're like this is really fucking stupid. Like why is Seth Rollins saying this? But it's The Rock, and he says it, and it's like ah, this is the funniest shit ever. Like The Rock fucking rules. It's the same thing with Velveteen Dream, where if Johnny Gargano tries to say like. Yeah, Roderick Strong has a tiny penis. You're like, why is Johnny Gargano doing bad photoshops? Like, what what's going on here? But Velveteen Dream, be because of his delivery, because of his character, it's like this is fucking hilarious. So they they chose the right guy to do this with. They they try to do this with literally in anybody else. It's probably not working. And it's all about you know, it's all about character and how defined those characters are. And much like The Rock, Velveteen Dream is defined in that way. Exactly. So Tommaso Ciampa arrived, sat in the ring, and told everybody. He told Goldie that Daddy's coming home. He wants his belt back. Kathy- this fucking rule. Real quick, I know we got. I, I talked about Moxley and like how awesome he is. I thought Ciampa was on that same level with this. He just comes out, he's got his chair, he's got his crutch, and he just fucking, you know, undisputed air runs away. He sits down, he says, Goldie, daddy's home. Crowd goes absolutely nuts. Undisputed air is like, well, let's go after this guy. And Adam Cole's like, no, this guy's a fucking psycho. Like, we're not going to go after him right now. Let's wait a little while. Ciampa was such a huge star. He said three words, but just everything he did with his mannerisms and his body language and and whatnot, and just Undisputed Era reacting to him in a way where they were like deathly afraid of this guy coming off neck surgery where with a crutch and stuff. Like Ciampa was such a star here. I loved uh, this. I completely loved it. And again, that that's you talk about guy. You know, we talk about guys getting over on charisma and delivery and look and stuff like that. Like you said, he just came out looking like a badass. Sat down, and said, "Goldie, Daddy's home." That was it. But he looked like the baddest motherfucker in the room. And again, like yeah, undisputed era sold it really well, which is the key. Because you have to look at things like that. If they don't sell it like worth a shit, it doesn't mean anything at all. You go back to when uh, Foley was feuding with Triple H and he he comes out in the Mankind mask and he's talking about how, you know, you, you beat Mankind and you did this and he's like, and now you're, you know, Mankind's not going to be one to face you. And he takes off the mask and opens up the dress shirt and he has the Cactus Jack shirt on. He's like, it's going to be Cactus Jack. Now, what the fuck is the difference technically? It's still Mick Foley. But Triple H sells that moment like he's seen a fucking ghost because of the legend of Cactus Jack, which is why that angle works. So that's just I'm just using that to kind of go back to this to where if Undisputed doesn't sell this and they just laugh and run to the ring and beat the shit out of them, it doesn't work worth a goddamn. Yeah, exactly. But... This was so, so good. And yeah, Undisputed Era selling it as being like afraid of this guy. 
obviously made Champa feel like an even bigger deal, but just the crowd reaction and the way he carries himself. I, I really, really loved um, the, this segment. Yeah. So backstage, Kathy Kelly was waiting for Tommaso Ciampa. Uh, Angel Garza arrived, tried to talk to her. She ignored him. He was shocked that Kathy Kelly would actually wait to talk to Ciampa. He started ranting in Spanish. Ciampa arrived, punched him in the face. Kathy asked him what she, what he, Garza was trying to say, and Ciampa was basically like, I have no idea. Fuck it. it yeah, it was funny. It was, you know... Almost Austin esque, where he he's a badass in the ring, then he just goes backstage and he has that kind of dry delivery. Like I I don't know what he's doing. So it it, it worked for me. And Angel Garza hitting on Kathy Kelly. I guess that's what he's doing. I I don't know what he was saying either. Uh, but can't blame the guy. No 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 no. And uh, that sets up a match for next week. That's uh, gonna fucking rule if they give it some time. Hell yeah. Next up, Bianca Belair defeated Dakota Kai, 6 minutes 40 seconds via pin. I thought this was a pretty good match overall, but I absolutely hated the booking of this. Uh, Dakota Kai just came back. She had a natural story to build to with Shayna Baszler. Belair has already failed against Baszler multiple times, uh, and it felt like a misstep. It felt like they just wanted to have a heel, which Bianca isn't exactly a straight-up heel, Although she, you know, she was heavily heel here. They wanted her, I guess, to face uh, Rhea Ripley, which they set up post-match. But I really feel that, like, you kind of ruined the natural story you had with Dakota Kai here. Because the Shayna Baszler reign of terror all started when she, quote-unquote, broke Dakota Kai's arm. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think this booking made sense. You, it, it was unnecessary. Not that Dakota Kai, I, I don't think Dakota Kai should have lost, but I also don't think Bianca Belair should have lost either. And so don't book this match uh, because Bianca has been losing a lot lately and you, you can't have her just keep taking these losses. And at the same time, Dakota Kai, she just came back. It seems like she's got the feud with um, Shayna Baszler right there. So she shouldn't be taking losses either. So simple solution is just don't book this match. You've got plenty of women. Book Dakota Kai uh, against uh, Chelsea Green or somebody. Book Bianca Belair against Chelsea Green. You know, the, Chelsea Green can take a loss. Um, I, I almost feel like Bianca might be main roster bound because I don't know what else she has to do in NXT. I guess they'll get the Rhea Ripley match, and then like Bianca is probably going to lose that one because Rhea Ripley is going to be the challenger, not Bianca. Uh, and, and then there's just not much else for her to do. Dakota Kai, I think you can make this work if it's just a bigger part of the story of she's back, but she's not all the way back. Like she can't even beat Bianca Belair right now. She still has to rehab herself a little bit but at the same time this is why you just book her against a weaker opponent and and have her win and then you gradually upgrade her to the the bigger opponent but there there can still be some salvage you can still salvage the dakota kai Shayna baszler thing uh and dakota kai's long-term story which i hope they're telling a more long-term story here because short term this did nothing for her yeah, so I wasn't a fan of that, but they're they're setting up Bianca versus uh, Rhea Ripley. It appears. 
Uh, got a really good Dominic Dijakovic video package, hyping up the match with Keith Lee, similar to the Keith Lee video package. Thought it was, again, really good. Uh, setting up for next week's match, and I am hyped because these guys are 1-1-1 one, one, and one overall. I, I mean, I can't fucking wait for Dijakovic and Lee. Yeah. And then we got a Pete Dunn video package, hyping up the Damian Priest match next week. Thought it was really good again as well. Again, hammering home these videos to set up the matches for next week that are not only valuable, but very well done. Yep. And that led to our main event, Jeremy. Volter defeating Kushida 13-15 via pin. I go to you first for your thoughts, sir. I was worried because like the match didn't start until about 10 till. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be like an eight-minute, maybe nine-minute match. And that that's it. And okay, Walter Kushida eight nine minutes is still going to be pretty awesome, but we deserve more. Like Walter Kushida should have a longer match. And then they had the overrun, and so it ended up being like fourteen fifteen minutes or something. And it, it fucking rolled. I mean, it's Walter against Kushida. You give them. 12 to 15 minutes they're most likely going to have a very good match and this was a very good match this was up there with bucks and, and private party for me I, I you flip a coin on which show or, or on which match you enjoyed more because i thought they were about on equal footing they were both great um kushida winning or kushida losing right call i don't know if you can really beat walter i did like the and i hope it turns into something when Kushida had the hoverboard lock on and Walter had like the single tap, but the ref was out of position and then he broke the hold. I hope that goes somewhere because you can tell a story with, with that of, you know, he had Walter beat. It's just the ref fucked up, was out of position, but Walter clearly tapped right here. And Morrow kind of mentioned it, or Nigel kind of mentioned that, oh, he tapped. And then it was like, no, he didn't. It was almost like the, the Chael Sonnen tap where you you get the guy, where you do the single tap so the guy releases the hold a little bit and then you can break out of it. And that's kind of what Walter was doing. And I hope that they, they go back to that. If they don't, I think it's a missed opportunity. But as far as the overall match, it was great. It was Walter and Kushida for 12, 15 minutes it's it's gonna be great i agree i really hope that they explore that because that's a cool story they could potentially tell uh i did i thought the match was great as well uh they it started a little slow in the first couple minutes and then all of a sudden it just it just kept getting intense and getting better and better as it went on i thought the home stretch was excellent they had a hot crowd with them uh, just a great match overall. Uh, Walter ends up killing Kushida with a ripcord lariat to put him away. Uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed this great match. Like you said, depending on style and what you like more, you can flip a coin with this and uh, the Boxers Private Party. I, th- I had them rated the same. I thought they were both great. I enjoyed the hell out of both of them for different reasons. Imperium celebrates with Walter. And Jeremy, set for next week, Tegan Knox in action. Keith Lee versus Dijakovic. Chiampa versus Garza and Damian Priest versus Pete Dunn. So we have a pretty interesting slate set up for next week. I would imagine something else gets added, but you know, give Dijakovic and Keith Lee all the time in the world. Give Priest and Dunn all the time in the world. Give Chiampa and Garza a good amount of time, and you know, it'll probably be another great show. I liked. Like last week was clearly a mini takeover because they were going up against AEW and they were pulling out 
all stops to try to prevent the you know the audience from from watching AEW and it didn't work obviously by the ratings this week felt more of like okay here's an NXT show where we're setting some things up for short term long term but this is generally what you're going to get every single week and the like that's fine that that's what you should be you can't do a mini takeover every single week so at some point you just have to book your show and that's what this was and i thought it was a a good show i enjoyed AEW a tad bit more but there was nothing wrong with NXT it was still a very strong show you got a great main event some angles were set up there was some you know some people came off like huge stars like Champa and the the wrestling aside from the main event was, was still very good especially like the opener so another just great week of two professional wrestling four hours of professional wrestling that was just great from start to finish yeah uh, again i had a great time wednesday night reviewing both shows uh last week we both went with nxt as the uh winner for the better show uh not that AEW was bad or anything last week it was it was one of those things that we just thought nxt was the better wrestling show uh this week i went AEW as well jeremy as you did um I thought uh, AEW. I thought you know some good wrestling, good some good setup for next week. But more importantly, you had uh, like Darby Allen, Private Party coming off like big stars, which is at this point in AEW's um, existence, they have to build these stars as much as possible. And then you got Jericho looking like a star out there, delivering a great promo. Uh, the Bucks is putting in that great performance to ensure the private party got over. And just the overall feel of the show is just, it's so exciting. The show flies by for me. I, I never look at the clock, and it's never one of those Raw scenarios where you look at Raw halfway through and you're like, Christ, I still have 90 minutes left. I just, I, I looked at the clock at one point where for AEW, and it was like 940, and we were getting close to the main event, and I was like, shit. So, um, yeah. Uh, so I, I'm going to AEW this week, enjoyed it a little bit more, thought it was a really strong show. But overall, Wednesday, great night of action again. The ratings are going to be really interesting this week, Jeremy, because again, we have baseball competition, and then you had the, the simulcast of AEW on uh, TNT and True TV. So it'll be interesting to see how many combined viewers maybe they do. Uh, be interesting to see the baseball audience. And again, the demographic breakdown will be fascinating as it was last week, I think. It was on True TV as well? Yes. Oh, okay. They, it had, was, they, it they was... had it on True TV because if the one baseball game went long, they were going to have to switch over and all kind of bullshit from TBS or something. So they had that as a contingency. Gotcha. I knew that you know that was a possibility that if the baseball game ran long they would have to switch over to true tv i did not realize that it was just straight up airing on true tv as well because for me like i switched i had it on tnt all night and it was never you know mentioned about true tv so i don't even know if many people watched it on true tv because it it seemed like it stayed on tnt all night so why would you even switch over to true tv i, I wouldn't i 
I mean, if you watch on True TV, great. I, I don't think you're going to see like huge ratings for for that show. I think TNT is obviously going to be strong. Did 1.4 million last week. General theory and is that it's going to drop because for the most part, shows that premiere typically see a second week drop, even though last, last week was very good and set up a lot of stuff. It's just kind of what happens. It was up against a, a game five elimination game with baseball as well. And and not, not only a game five elimination game, it was Washington and uh, Los Angeles, um, w- which went on the air on TBS at around 830. Those are two pretty good markets. I mean, obviously, Los Angeles is a huge market. Washington's a, a good market as well. So it was, a, it was a pretty big game they were up against. And this is for NXT as well. So the baseball competition was, was certainly stiff. I think it'll drop this week. I don't think anyone should panic if it drops this week because of the baseball competition, because we just typically see these drops. Uh, I think NXT will drop as well. I think AEW does about 1.25 and NXT. They did what eight, uh, about 900 last week. I, I think they're, yeah, I, I think they're probably just over 800 this week. Yeah, I think general theory is most are expecting AEW to drop about 10% at least. So um, you definitely I could see in that 1.2 range. Um, I think NXT may see a bigger drop than just like down to 8. I think they could be closer to 700,000, maybe even a little under. So That's, that's just, fair. I, and I, I think, I think real quick, I think part of that is too is they pull from an older demographic which means they're fighting with baseball more for that demographic than they are for AEW. Yeah, that that's that's certainly possible. Um, and, and a good point because that is sort of baseball's demographic skews a little bit higher uh, than than younger. So yeah, NXT's audience could drop more than I'm I'm giving them credit for for dropping. I. That you know that wouldn't be good for NXT. I think if because AEW beat them by what almost five hundred thousand viewers, uh, the the first week, yeah. and like if they if they keep beating them by more and more viewers, it's just it's not a good look um, for them. And so there are certainly other factors, but at some point NXT's gotta gain viewers and, and make up some ground here because if they're both just gonna keep dropping, that that's not good. But as WWE said in their statement last week, it is a marathon and not a one night sprint. And I think the December stuff will will matter more, especially when with baseball going on. And I think baseball helps AEW more because they are promoting AEW on these baseball broadcasts. USA is, I mean the. I guess there's stuff that watch that people watch on USA. I can't say that I do, but I can't say I watch anything on TNT outside of uh, their sports stuff. And, and that's why I see so much promotion for AEW compared to NXT. Like the only time I see NXT promoted is when I'm watching Raw. Meanwhile, I see AEW promoted when I'm watching the, these baseball games on, on TBS because they're, they're on TBS. And so I think that helps, and I think it'll help AEW in the the fall when basketball starts up because you're going to see these promos for AEW during basketball. And USA, I don't know. What what do people watch on USA that they're going to promote NXT? 
Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I watch a lot of like NCIS reruns and Law and Order reruns and Chicago okay. PD reruns, but like, do you see? No, NXT I was gonna say, I, I don't see WWE commercials at all during those shows. Like, I every once in a while, it's rare, but I'll tell you what, I will tell you that if I'm watching TNT between like 3 a.m. and 7 a.m., because I'm up a lot at night and I'm watching like reruns of fucking NCIS New Orleans. AEW commercials all over the fucking place. TNT is all in. They're constantly showing commercials. Yeah, I again, I don't watch TNT, TBS, Turner uh, outside. Of, really, I don't watch any live TV outside of sporting events. So I, I don't see a whole lot of commercials anyway. But that's the audience that Turner is looking for, where I think there's a reason why WWE and nxt skew older because that's probably what people are watching on usa network like you're just watching reruns of all these shows i don't know what usa really has temptation island can't wait for that fucking show to start um but i don't know what usa has that you're you're watching that I, i think it's a misstep if temptation island which i will watch on uh dvr I, like there should be NXT promos during that. There, there should like I don't see even. But I watched the first few seasons of Temptation Island, or I guess it's only been one. But I watched the first season of Temptation Island, and there was like no Raw or SmackDown promos during. And that's the that fucking show. demographic they need to be going after. That younger demographic. Yeah, I, I assume it's young people watching that show because it's just hot young people. So, yeah, I. I don't know. I, I want USA to maybe push the show a little bit more because Turner is clearly pushing Dynamite. Fox is like all fucking in on SmackDown. Oh, Jesus I, Christ, yeah. I, I watch Fox shows because uh, there's a lot of football and there's some baseball on, on the Fox networks and, and like Fox Sports 1 and stuff. But there's even like some some good TV shows on Fox, some comedies on Fox that I'll end up watching. And there's fucking SmackDown promos all over the place. Like, I don't know if USA is pushing WWE the way that they should be pushed right now. And I hope that changes with the way Turner is pushing AEW and Fox is pushing uh, SmackDown. Because if I'm WWE and I'm going to NBC Universal, I'm like, hey, we're doing the best ratings for you on USA Network. Like none of your other shows are doing as good of ratings. You know, you're paying us this much money. Start putting some commercials in there during your your fucking shows. And even NBC, like NBC Universal owns NBC. Like I watch shows on NBC. Put some Raw and NXT commercials on those NBC shows as well. I, I obviously don't know the business behind this and how much money this will cost and if this cost effective for NBC and USA. But I feel like a commercial spot every now and again can't can't be killing their bottom line exactly so yeah definitely be interested to see but yeah definitely tnt is all in on AEW, and um fox is all in on smackdown yeah because i constantly see stuff for that too so will be interesting to see how ratings shake up uh and break down here in week two jeremy uh we are going to switch over right now jeremy and we are going to talk a little ring of honor yay co-opted jeremy lambert by ring of honor uh this weekend on saturday night roh glory by honor 2019 i'll be doing live coverage if you guys want to follow along 
We start off number one contenders battle royal. The winner of this match will get a championship match against Roosh later in the evening. Uh, so far announced for this match are such luminaries as Kenny King, Joe Hendry, Silas Young, Josh Woods, Rhett Titus, the Beer City Bruiser, Brian Malone, his Cheeseburger, LSG, and Shaheem Ali, Jeremy. Who is winning and facing Roosh? I have fucking Kenny King, probably. Somebody's just going to get killed by Roosh. And, and maybe they don't want Kenny King to lose again. I don't know. I, I do. You named all these people, and I'm just like, who are half of these people? Yeah, I know a lot of people were like, well, maybe Taven sneaks in and wins, but it'd be too early to burn the Taven rematch. No, you don't. Because they actually had a great pay-per-view match, so you don't want to yeah. burn that rematch. No, you, you don't want to do that match again. Aren't the finals of the uh, the the number one contenders tournament on the show as well? Yes. Yeah, so you don't even have to do Roosh in the, the main event here. Like, just throw Cheeseburger a fucking win and just have Roosh and Cheeseburger do do a match or something. Like, the winner of this doesn't really matter. We know they're losing to Roosh. It's going to be Kenny King. I'm telling you right now. That, that, I mean, ROH I, loves Kenny King. Yeah, I, I fully expect it to be Kenny King, honestly. So, move on to tag team action. The Lifeblood versus Villain Enterprises feud continues as Mark Haskins and Tracy Williams faces Flip Gordon and Brody King, Jeremy. Um, sure. We're just gonna keep doing these matches now. Bandito's hurt, so Lifeblood is it's Haskins and Williams. The 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 last two men standing here uh i i don't know villain and or like lifeblood wins flip a coin are they doing a show on saturday or is this show on saturday this shows on saturday okay so are they doing a show on sunday no it's standalone weekend okay so they mean, have the uh uk shows coming up gotcha you're the person who like looks ahead and realizes oh well they're doing this match the following night so this team will win tonight so i lifeblood wins I'm actually going with flipping Brody here in Villain Enterprises. Should be a nope. good match, but they need to get the fuck away from Lifeblood and Villain Enterprises. For as good and entertaining as the matches are, I'm just over it. They need to get the fuck away from Lifeblood. So, next up, Women of Honor Championship, Angelina Love defending against Kelly Klein. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Love won the title back in Death Before Dishonor. Kelly Klein is teased that uh, she's going to bring someone to be in her corner for their match. Uh, should be interesting. They could debut Session Moth Martina here, who they have signed, uh, or somebody else new. Hopefully it's somebody interesting. But uh, Angelina Love isn't going to lose the title already, so uh, I figure she wins, and they set up something else down the line. Exciting cool. as always, Women of Honor, Jeremy. Uh, my gimmick for Women of Honor is Orange Cassidy. There you go. So, uh, ROH Tag Team Champions, the Briscoes will face uh, Luke and Perry Hawks. Local talents. Uh, Briscoes will... Briscoes will win. Uh, probably be good. We'll we'll talk. We'll be talking about the Hawks as like, man, this team's really fucking underrated, and maybe they are, but they're also in the ring with the Briscoes. Yeah, the Briscoes are great. They should probably make this good. Luke Hawks is all right. Haven't really seen the sun much, but uh, we'll see what happens. But yeah, the Briscoes are great. Jonathan Gresham versus Alex Shelley. Jeremy, here we go. 
Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this match. Love Gresham. Love Alex Shelley, one of the more underrated talents in wrestling history, honestly. Should be great. Gresham should win because he doesn't have, like, he just came off this big victory against Jay Lethal. Makes no sense to, to beat him here. And uh, Gresham, a win here, got the win against Lethal, could honestly be kind of setting up for a title shot as well. So uh, I think I think Gresham wins. Should be uh, looking forward to it, though. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. This is a match that Alex Shelley has personally wanted for some time. He loves Gresham, and that goes all the way back to the Search and Destroy stable, which uh, was all him and Saban's idea to help uh, mentor and get uh, Jonathan Gresham and Jay White over at the time. So um, definitely a match on paper that looks awesome. Should be like a technical masterpiece, stylistically speaking. Shelly was great in his return with uh, Taven. Uh, the match wasn't great overall, but he was really great in that match. He's looked really good since coming back. Gresham is obviously awesome, coming off the big win over Lethal. Gresham really should win. It would make no sense to have him beat Lethal and then lose the first match afterwards. And you could be priming him up, as Jeremy said, for a title shot down the line, which I am not opposed to. Which means they'll probably have... Shelly win because it wouldn't make sense for Shelly to win. Exactly. Number one contenders tournament, Jeremy. Semifinal match, PCO versus Dalton Castle. Um, not like super excited for this match because I'm not like the biggest Dalton Castle fan in the world. I love PCO, but let's be honest, the guy he's not the the greatest wrestler. He's a fantastic gimmick, but as far as wrestling, it almost feels like a styles clash as well. I don't really know what we're getting in this match. I think PCO, I don't know how the tournament's going to play out. Honestly, I I think PCO wins. I think we're going to see an all villain enterprises finals. I actually have Dalton castle going for the win here because I think they're going to tease him winning in that rematch with Roosh. The other side. Oh yeah. I forgot that Roosh destroyed him. I don't want to see that match again. No, I don't want to see it, but I think they're going to tease it. Oh, fair, fair enough. All right, that that makes more sense than my All Villain Enterprises final. The other semifinal match: Marty Skrull versus Jay Lethal. I really like this one, uh, and along with Grissom and Shelley, think it'll be one of the best matches on the card. Uh, they've worked together really well in the past, so I'm excited. On the surface, it feels like Lethal wins because Marty's contract is coming up in November. But there is word that he's getting a big offer to stay, and there is word that he may have signed an extension to work through Final Battle Weekend. So I think that with that being the case, I'm actually going to go Marty Skrull over Jay Lethal here. Yeah, I I think Marty wins as well. And, uh, I mean, I said Villain Enterprise Final. I think Marty ends up winning this tournament and I'm looking forward to this match, by the way, it's Marty Skrull, it's Jay Lethal. It should be really good. And I, yeah, his, his contract is up in November, but we've seen a lot of times with ROH that we saw just last year with Cody where they, it seems like they have enough goodwill with the performers that they're willing to stick it out and work some final dates, especially final battle. Like that's probably going to be a good payoff for, for Marty if he ends up doing this and then after final battle, he can kind of do what he wants. But I do think that Marty ends up winning this tournament six around through final battle gets this one last big title shot. They can even play the fucking angle that they love to play of like, Oh, his contract is ending. And you know, if he wins the title, what's going to happen? They, the they winter love that of angle. Marty. 
yeah, they they love that damn angle. So I, I think that's maybe where they end up going here. Yeah, I have uh, Dalton Castle and Marty in the finals again to tease the uh, possibility of the castle Reese rematch, which doesn't make sense to me because, you know, Roosh beat him in 20 seconds, they did a DQ finish, and then Roosh beat him clean in a no-DQ match. So there's absolutely no uh, desire for a Dalton Castle roosh rematch now. So I think that you give Marty the win here and set up a really interesting match with Roosh at Final Battle. So I have Marty winning yeah. the tournament. Uh, and I'm, then, I'm uh, with you. So the main event or whatever the match is going to be, last match covers Roosh versus the Battle Royal winner. Whoever it is, they're going to get fucking owned by Roosh. Probably Kenny King. I hope Roosh beats his ass in 20 seconds. Agreed. So, but that is uh, that's Saturday night. Again, I will have live coverage of the show for you guys Saturday night. So, you know, hang out, join us, and uh, we will have a good time. And to close up shop, Jeremy, we now talk about the big show on Monday. New Japan Pro Wrestling, King of Pro Wrestling 2019. We start off with Junior Tag Team Trios action. Taguchi, Show and Yo versus El Desperado returning from his broken jaw. Kenamaro and Doki. Um... Sorry, I'm completely distracted. I didn't realize we were talking New Japan. Where's the rundown, Larry? Uh, aren't we doing a show after this ROH show? Can we preview New Japan then? Uh, wasn't planning on it. Okay. <laughs> I just figured you would make me watch this fucking ROH show and we would review the uh, we would preview the New Japan show then. All right, let's. I I actually want to give New Japan time, and I'm. Feeling very tired uh, with how long the, this podcast has been. Uh, okay. Fire up, pull. Jeremy. Taguchi and Rapongi 3K versus Desperado, Kenamaro, and Doki. Look, I love Rapongi 3K. Taguchi, he's fine. Uh, Des- this is Desperado's big comeback. Cool. Don't care. Rapongi should win. Suzuki Gun is going to win this match, Jeremy, because Desperado is coming back and he needs the uh, the momentum. I, I agree, uh, and Taguchi's probably going to take the loss, but Rapongi, my boys, I'm going to keep pulling for them. Fair enough. Uh, we are uh, celebrating the uh, 20th uh, year of uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Tanahashi and Hanma facing off with Makabe and Yano. Uh, Tanahashi was like, it's my 20th anniversary. Give me the night off. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, Ta- Tanahashi's gonna win, obviously, and yeah, he's wrestling Yano and Makabe. Like Tanahashi's not going out there and killing himself against Yano and Makabe. Exactly, it, it is a night off for him. But if anybody deserves it, it is the Ace. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying this is a bad thing. Like it's perfectly acceptable. If you if it's your 20th anniversary, you get to choose what you want to do. If he wanted to go out there and be like, "I want Okada," and we're going to turn in this five star classic, they do that. Instead, he was like, "You know what? I've beaten myself up for 20 fucking years. Give me Yano." Pretty much, man, and I don't blame him. Uh, we move on, sticking with tag team actions. Naito, Shingo, and Bushi. Versus Zack Sabre Jr., Lance Archer, and Tai Chi. Uh, LIJ wins. LIJ, I can see LIJ winning, but I actually have uh, Suzuki Gun winning. I think they may start a Naito and Zack Sabre Jr. feud because both have teased winning in that um, mix at Wrestle Kingdom. And uh, I hope they kind of book a Shingo versus Lance Archer match out of this as well because I think that'll fucking rule. 
Yeah, that would be awesome. I'd be fine with that. I mean, I, I never know these multi-man tag matches. It, honestly, the the winners and losers in these things don't they they matter to an extent, especially on these bigger shows. But we're gonna see this match a hundred times leading up to uh, the eventual showdown between Naito and Zack Saber Jr. Hopefully, that is the plan. Zack and uh, Naito, and not Naito and Taichi. God, fuck. No, don't put that out in the universe. Yeah, it's already out there, unfortunately. Uh, no. We keep up with tag team action. Hiroki Goto, Big Tom Ishii, and Yoshihashi versus Jay White, Kenta, and Yujiro Takahashi. This is the fallout from Royal Quest and Destruction in Kobe. We're building to Goto and White for the IC title, and likely a rematch between Big Tom and Kenta for the Never title. Uh, Yoshihashi and Yujiro are here for one of them to take the pin. I'm going with Chaos in this one. Yeah, that, that's fine. Um, it'll play out exactly how you said with Hashi or Yujiro taking the pinfall. So either Ishii or Goto. I, I think the Chaos wins because Ishii and Goto are the non-champions. And this is where shit starts picking up, Jeremy. We have a All right, awesome ex- top five. We start off. Jushin Thunder Liger versus Minoru Suzuki. This feud, if you guys have not been paying attention, has been fucking awesome. And the funny thing is, is I've been getting a lot of criticism for my love of this feud. Because all I hear is, well, if it was WWE, you'd shit all over this feud because it has two 50-year-old guys in it. You know why I would shit over it if it was WWE? Because WWE hasn't delivered a well-crafted story like this in years. Featuring two legends that are still in great shape and can deliver in the ring like Liger and Suzuki can. Instead, we get Triple H and uh, fucking Undertaker embarrassing themselves in Saudi Arabia and Australia. And Goldberg and Taker almost fucking killing each other and breaking their necks. So anyway, there's no comparison. It's Liger and Suzuki. These guys are legends that can still go. I am so pumped for this. I think they've built this extremely well. Suzuki has been the ultimate asshole. Liger has tried to be the good legendary wrestle lad, but he had to summon Keishin Liger at one point. I just hope that they try to murder each other here. Um, And the thing is, a lot of people are shocked that this match is coming now. And the thing is, is I think the reason it's coming now is there are rumors out there that Suzuki might be leaving New Japan for wrestling. Uh, Voices of Wrestling busted that out a few days ago. And apparently the main reason he stuck around is the Liger feud. So I think Liger picks up the win here. I hope it's Keishin Liger. I hope he goes absolutely insane. And then I hope that they tell the story that he basically goes on a fucking rampage through the end of the year. And that they have to build to one of his babyface pals bringing him back from the brink of destruction. And who better to do that than a fellow legend, someone who Liger is treated like a son at times, who is already shocked at Keishin's appearance, Tanahashi and Liger at one of the Dome shows, Jeremy. Book it. I like your booking. Uh, I'd like to subscribe to your newsletter. Thank you. <laughs> I cannot wait for this match. I, I've loved this feud from the very start. I don't compare it to anything in WWE. Um, it, you know, it, it was teased really early in the year, and then they went away from it, and they brought it back a little bit later in the year. And then, you know, we had the Kishin Liger, which that angle fucking ruled. 
because you've got to go to that place when you're up against a madman like Minoru Suzuki. This should be great. They should beat the shit out of each other. I hope Suzuki isn't leading, leaving New Japan. If he does, I mean, that that that's his call. It's his prerogative. Whatever he does, he's going to be awesome, man. I hope he just goes back. He'd go to Bellator. Bellator would protect the shit out of him and treat him like a legend. Set up a big uh, Suzuki against Jake Hagar match. Um, or we got to do the Josh Barnett-Suzuki rematch since that went to a draw at Bloodsport. Can't wait for this match. I, I like your long-term booking of Liger. Don't know if they'll they'll go that direction, but it it makes a lot of sense. And you know, if we get Liger and Tanahashi at the dome, then I'm all for that as well. But can't wait for this match. I don't know if it's gonna be like this five-star classic or anything, but the the story with it and the crowd heat that is going to be in it, and just the the character work and the storyline work of it is probably gonna make me think it's greater than it, it would be if it was just you know uh, like later on we're gonna get Okada and uh, Sonata for the the millionth time. I'm probably going to like this match a lot more, even if Okada and Sonata is technically the better wrestling match. But I, the, I really can't wait for this. The thing is, this doesn't have to be a great technical wrestling match. It just has to he- have heat, character work, and bring in everything that they've used to make it what it is into this match. Because they've done so much great build for this match. So the heat should be there. It should be really great. Very much looking forward to it, though. It's a, It's been a hell of a build to it. They've done some great work with these two. So i uh just very excited. Um... We have uh, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion Will Ospreay defending against El Fantasma, Jeremy. Should be great. I think Fantasma wins just because Osprey is probably off to kind of heavyweight stuff around Wrestle Kingdom time. Fair enough. Um, they've built this one actually really well, too, between... Um, Tag matches with Ishimori and Eagles involved, and then the Super J Cup stuff. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I hope that um, I hope it's more of a straight wrestling match than what Phantasma stuff has been doing lately. Because a lot of the time his matches break down into junior heavyweight Jay White shenanigans, which become extremely frustrating and takes away from a lot of matches that can be really, really great. And I just want more more wrestling and less bullshit with it because I quite like Phantasmo and I think he's, you know, I think he's really good. Osprey's having an all time great year, so um, despite the fact that some refuse to recognize it, which is totally bullshit. Um, anyway, so I think this definitely has potential to be great if it's not overbooked. I think Osprey retains, but I would not be surprised if they pulled the title switch at all. I don't think you can go wrong with with either one. Um, I I just think Osprey has almost outgrown the junior division at this point. I mean, we saw him in the G1. We know we can hang with these heavyweight guys, and he fits in perfectly with the heavyweight style because he is a little bit different, but he can still keep up with that style. And I just I just think he's he's done for in the the junior i don't know why why he's still there outside of he's will osprey and he's he's really great i I just want more for will osprey yeah and again i wouldn't be surprised they pulled the switch and that happened so we will we will definitely see it It makes it a little more interesting when you think about that as part of the equation too yeah because it's like what is the long-term plans are they gonna because theoretically i mean if you if you pull the switch and you start building osprey up as a regular heavyweight and Abushi walks out of Wrestle Kingdom with the title. 
you know, Osprey can be like, motherfucker, I beat you last year at Wrestle Kingdom. Where's my title shot? And I'm yeah. all down for Osprey and Ibushi again. So, so yeah, definitely a lot you can do there. But looking forward to that one. IWGP United States Heavyweight Champion John Moxley defending against Juice Robinson Jeremy in a no DQ match. This is going to be awesome. John Moxley has been great. I mean, almost perfect in his New Japan run. And, you know, he returns here. My one concern is with the AEW stuff and, you know, because he got a MRSA infection last time he he was in Japan and, and did all that. I wonder how Tony Khan, you know, is what is going to be like, Hey, pump the brakes a little bit on here. Like we got to protect our investment. That that's my concern, um, with this match, but I don't think Moxley gives a fuck about any of that. And I hope that Tony Khan is willing to give him this match and let him go out there and do whatever he wants. And if that's the case, Moxley and juice are going to brawl all around the arena and juice is going to win because, Moxley, outside of an appearance at Wrestle Kingdom, probably won't be popping up in New Japan any longer. Yeah, they had an excellent match at the Best Super Junior Finals when Moxley won the title. Uh, Juice went on his quest for revenge, got a little bit of that during the G1 when he beat Moxley to get this rematch. They did an angle afterwards, uh, so the no DQ stipulation makes sense. Plays into Moxley's whole vibe in New Japan, plus gives Juice the freedom to go for revenge here. Uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Should be great. And I also have Juice Robinson regaining the championship. We yeah. move on to Kota Ibushi versus Evil with Ibushi's IWGP heavyweight title shot at Wrestle Kingdom on the line. Evil earned this opportunity at Ibushi's uh, championship shot by beating him during the G1 in a match that was pretty good but never really clicked into high gear because Ibushi was dealing with his ankle, ankle injury. I thought back then that they had a much better match in them, and um, with Ibushi healthy and Evil, been he's been working really hard and delivering and has the ability to step up in big matches, I think they definitely have a chance to deliver a great match here. The only real downfall is the likelihood of Evil winning here is like less than 1% because it's not his time, number one, and it makes absolutely no sense to derail Ibushi's journey after winning the G1. So I think the most important thing will be to see if they can develop a a drama-filled match more so than a great wrestling match because you have to make people believe that Evil can win here and get them into the match. I mean, great work is always great and is always welcomed, but if there's no drama and the crowd is kind of dead, then it doesn't really mean anything. So it's essential to actually getting some drama built into this, and I'm not talking about that bullshit they tried to do with Kenta, at the one destruction show, which was just a horrible fucking match. Um, anyway, I'm sure the work here will be very good. It could be even great. And if they can build the drama and actually get fans to buying into evil, that'll be the real success of this. But Ibushi should win. Yeah, the the drama would be the biggest thing here because Ibushi is. I mean, they're not evil's not going on to headline uh, Wrestle Kingdom, so Abushi is definitely winning. Match should be great. It's just a matter of can can you get people to buy that evil could potentially win this match? Yeah, and that's uh, that's the big thing. It really is, and that's that can't be downplayed. Enough, or I can't stress that enough because it's like 
it's okay to have a predictable outcome, but you have to deliver in terms of wrestling and drama to make it really, really work. So we go on to the main event, Jeremy. IWGP heavyweight champion, Kazuchika Okada, defending against Sonata. I go to you first. It's... It's kind of the same thing with Abushi and Evil in that we know Okada is winning. Can they build Sonata to to get him with the they they will. The the crowd loves Sonata, so they'll they'll get some drama out of it. I it's like I said after they booked this match though, like I don't have much of a desire for this match. I I feel like I've seen it so many times. I know it's going to be great. This is not a knock on the work at all. I know it is going to be great. I'm just like, eh, eh you know, it, it's a match I've seen, I feel like a million times already. And that that's what it is to me. And Okada and Okada is going to win. So I, I'm not, I'm not super invested in this match, even though I'm sure by the end of it, I'd be like, Hey, that much fucking ruled. It was like a four and a half star classic or some shit. Yeah. Um, Honestly, you should probably strap in because this one's probably going to be long. Sonata was 0-6 against Okada prior to the G1 win, uh, which is how we got the title shot here. And outside of the G1 match, due to the time constraints of the tournament, all those matches have progressively gone longer because the story is that Sonata has come closer, taking Okada into deeper waters but ultimately failing. They've worked really well together. They've had great collection of matches. And... I really enjoy the matches, but there is a section of fans who have become frustrated with the style of match, feeling that the early portions of the match are long and uneventful and add absolutely nothing to the match but time. So, like the previous match, the possibility of Sonata winning here is probably zero. They have they have to nail the drama aspect. Again, I just I, I want to stress that. But if I'm being completely honest here, Jeremy, there is absolutely nothing more than I'd love than to see this buck the trend of the typical main event match in New Japan and the typical Sonata-Okada match. I would love to see Sonata realize that going long and playing into Okada's game has constantly been the fact that it has failed him each time. So with that being the case, I'd love him to go fucking shocking off from the bell, not allowing Okada to settle in, not allowing them to work a slow, methodical pace, not allowing him to do that lock-up, push-to-the-ropes, pat-him-on-the-chest spot... I just want Sonata to fucking run wild, dominate, hit all his shit, fucking wreck Okada for like 10 minutes. Okay, just fucking wreck this dude. I love for them to go that way and basically end in a shocking 15-minute sprint when Okada hits the Rainmaker and wins. Flip the script, be different, do something fresh and exciting that nobody would expect, and I think that would be excellent. But yeah, I'm probably um, I'm probably just an old man yelling at the cloud at this point. I, I just uh, I just want something different. I'm completely for that. I think it would be great, and I, I I'm for being doing something different because the New Japan main event style it can feel very formulaic, especially especially when it's a match like Okada and Sonata that we've seen a bunch of times. Like, all right, if it goes a half hour, forty minutes, or whatever. How many times do we have to see that kind of match 
be between them, especially when the the winner is in in doubt. In previous years, okay, or in previous matchups, maybe the winner was a little bit in doubt, and so you're like, all right, it deserves this kind of drama. Like this close to Wrestle Kingdom, Sonata is not winning the the title and going into Wrestle Kingdom. Like that's just that's not how this works. Um, so. I, I I'd much prefer like a, a 15, 20 minute sprint. I think that would be fantastic. We're probably not getting that. Yeah. It, um, I, I would love to see that. I just think it would be totally different and buck the trend. And I think it would just be surprising to about everybody. Plus you can do, if you do the sprint thing, you could have Sonata come close several, several times and commentary would probably play up really well that he changed his formula and everything. And, you know, I just think it would be it would be really good. So, um, hopefully, they do something a little different because again, these Okada matches are not bad. I mean, they, he has great matches, but a lot of it is the same, and I can totally understand why people get frustrated with the beginning of the matches. I can understand that it's a personal taste thing, and some people just don't like it. I get it. So again, maybe they'll try something different, but I mean, I think it'll be great regardless. But Okada wins, retains the title, and that should set up him and Ibushi for night one of Wrestle Kingdom as the technically first official match. Doesn't doesn't Ibushi still have to face Kenta? Or they already faced the, They had that shitty match. Oh, right. That's why, show, yeah. That's why I forgot about it because it wasn't very good. I tried to wipe um, it from your memory. Yeah, I did. I really did. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's when Kenta wrestled like two weeks after fucking getting knocked out in the biggest mistake that yeah yeah yeah. i remember they took like no bumps in that match and people were trying to claim it was a great piece of heel artistry and some bullshit right yeah i did completely wipe that from my memory uh yeah they're gonna set up okada and abushi coming out of this they'll probably do the big face off question do you think we get le champion chris jericho here I mean, I think the Jericho thing is always possible because you just never know with him. We we know he is most likely appearing at Wrestle Kingdom. Like we know, it is con he has a contract with New Japan through Wrestle Kingdom, and, and they teased the Tanahashi match at Dominion. Right, right, and he still he doesn't have like he lost to Okada, but I mean, he's Chris Jericho. You can do a potential Ibushi match if you want to. Yeah, they they. Actually, you know what? They did tease the Tanahashi match at Dominion. And now I'm thinking earlier in the night, you know, it's Tanahashi's 20th anniversary and everything. He's Jericho probably going to win. Jericho comes to piss on his parade, man. Yeah. Yep. So I'm thinking it's we get Chris Jericho on this show. Maybe he brings Tanahashi a little bit of the bubbly. Maybe. I mean, he lays him out with the AEW title. It pours champagne. They, there you go. He pours the bubbly on him. Like, here, you want to celebrate? Let's celebrate with some bubbly. He'll be like, happy anniversary, fuckface. All right. I, I've convinced myself and you've convinced me that Jericho is 100% appearing on this show. I definitely think it's a possibility because, like I said, with Jericho, you sometimes never know. It's just... Dude kind of pops up out of nowhere. It would make sense, though, if they're going to try to lock that in. I did like some websites reporting this as like a revolutionary story. It's like, well, I'm glad you guys fucking watched Dominion. Like, we all knew that. 
It's like they were setting that up there, but you know, yeah. Yeah, it's, like... it's it's not this. That that's the thing with New Japan when they they set up the Tanahashi and and Jericho bit uh, at Dominion. Like it wasn't just to do it. You you knew Tanahashi came out because it was going to lead to something, and so the fact that it came out that oh Jericho also has. Uh, he can appear at Wrestle Kingdom. Like, okay, well, there you go. By the way, Jeremy, I've seen on the Twitter machine before we close up, breaking news. Seth Listen, Rollins will face Roman Reigns on Friday Night SmackDown with the winner earning the number one pick for their brand. Oh, my okay. God. I mean, it, it's fine. I From what I've... I love drafts. Um I think they're great. I don't like the aftermath of, of like setting up my fantasy team, but I love the actual drafting. Uh, I'm looking forward to the draft on Friday and Monday. I like that it's their positioning essentially Fox and USA against each other. Maybe this is WWE's like passive aggressive plan of like, Hey, Fox is taking all these people. Look how well they're promoting them. Come on, USA promote the shit out of your superstars that you drafted. Um, so I, I I like this and yeah to, they do this match for the first pick I think that's that's cool uh, at least they're doing something because they don't have general managers or authority figures anymore so they have to Good. position this yeah I, I agree so they have to position this in some way I mean Rollins and Reigns people are gonna be like uh eh, who really cares but let, let's be honest these are the kind of the two biggest baby stars they had not just babyface like full time main roster stars they have you can say that well they're not really stars and you're correct uh but in the wwe universe these are their two biggest stars i was hoping that they would do like becky lynch and bailey just so i could listen to fucking people cry why are they pushing becky lynch why was she in a segment with the rock it was so bad she didn't deserve to be there i saw so like the worst fucking takes in the world Anyone complaining about Becky Lynch is just, as she says, a little weirdo. Looking for shit to bitch about. But anyway, Jeremy, we had a great Wednesday night again. We had a really good Tuesday night with the NWA debut and AEW Dark debuting. So, uh, yeah, uh, I had a really fun week this week for the most part. A lot of good wrestling to talk about, and I'm excited for this weekend. It's not over. We still have SmackDown. And ROH. I'm looking forward to SmackDown. I told you, I like the draft, so I think it'll, I think it'll be fun. And then, yeah, ROH and New Japan, which will probably be a great show, even if it does last like five hours. Yeah. So uh, we will be back Monday night after Raw. We will break down the WWE draft. We'll talk some ROH. We'll talk King of Pro Wrestling, Jeremy. It's going to be a good time. I'm excited. Thank you as always, my friend. Yeah, I didn't know we were going to be back Monday night. You got to clue me in on the schedule. I told you that like last week. Dude, I can't remember what I had for breakfast, much less what you told well, me. Well, it's more week. it's more spontaneous and fun when I drop it on you in the middle of the broadcast. That's fair. You're you're like WWE. You you announce it on the website, and then <laughs> the, right. the wrestlers are the last people to actually know. <laughs> so, but everybody, thank you for listening to the show. I I, I want to give everybody, a, including WWE, a big thank you. Because of that clusterfuck at Hell in a Cell, and because you guys are awesome, we had our largest single-day listenership ever. So I I would like to thank Vince McMahon and his horrible creative direction for booking the finish to Hell in a Cell like that. We greatly appreciate it. I want to thank you guys for listening. And again, 
You can follow the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course, the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe and share the show around on social media. And if you have time, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Jeremy and I will be back Monday night. Until then, take care.